How you guys doing? Fantastic, man. So glad that you're hanging out with us on Easter Sunday. It's so much fun. I love being your pastor. I love this church. And uh, we are in a fantastic series that we're coming to the end. We're closing it out today, this hour, entitled A Hill to Die On. Now, I'm just going to be the first one to say, uh, we, uh, we actually do all of our messages. We plan them a year, year and a half in advance. And we do it with all of our staff, all of our elders. We sit down and we kind of do it in team. And uh, when we threw this idea out, uh, I threw it out. And then as soon as I threw it out, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I like this idea. And uh, the more I started talking, the more I started hating it. And uh, I'm like, yeah, let's don't do it. And all the rest of the staff said, no, we need to do it. I kind of got vetoed on that. And I got to be honest with you, I'm so glad that they pushed forward to it. My, My pushback on this series is that in this series, we're talking a lot about the things that many times that can divide Christians and they can get us fighting. And I didn't want it to be divided. Because I wanted to really talk about the thing that should be the core and the essential of our Christian faith. And, uh, and that's exactly what we've been, been able to do over the past five weeks. We've been looking at what is it the core, what is it the central, uh, what do you put in the middle of the bullseye when it comes to Christianity and doctrine and creeds and all of this stuff. And if you're here today, and if this is your first time with us, I am so glad that you're here. Because you could not have come on a better Sunday for two reasons. Number one, you came and it's Easter Sunday and I'm just kind of stoked about that and uh, I'm so excited that you're here because we want you to be able to hear that, you know what, we got all of this stuff, we got all this stuff, all of the boards and all of our beliefs, but really I'm so glad that you're here because you're able to hear the one thing that we think should be a hill to die on. That what should be at the core and at the center of our faith. So I'm so glad that you're here. And again, the second reason I'm just glad you're here is just because, again, we believe as a church, we believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. We don't believe that his spirit was rise from the dead. We didn't believe that his teachings were brought up from the dead. We believe that he was bodily, that he showed up, and he is alive again. And I believe that that, that one fact is what separates us from all other world religions. That one fact is what separates us from those who are following Buddha or Confucius or Islam or Muhammad or any other religious system. Is that when you go, you can go to Mecca and you can see the tomb of Muhammad. You go to Jerusalem, the tomb is empty. And we believe that. We believe that we serve a risen God who is alive. And what's so cool about this is that we believe, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, not because I believe the Bible to be true. Now hear me, I do believe the Bible to be true. But you know what, so many, you maybe have grown up in a church and you say, well, if the Bible says it, then i got to believe it. And then some of you, you're here today, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what the Bible really, uh, I don't really, did it really say that? And maybe you went to college, you had a professor kind of blow some holes in what the Bible said. Let me tell you, we believe that Jesus is alive based more than just on just what, I, 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 what the Bible says. Because number one, the Bible doesn't say anything. It's a collection of ancient documents written by 40 different writers over a 1,500 time span. So it really doesn't say anything. So it's so much better than that. We believe that the whole idea that we believe in Jesus Christ rose from the end is so much better than that because we have eyewitness accounts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to be starting 
in verse uh, verse 1. And um, what's so cool about this is Paul, who's writing this, he kind of narrows it down and he says, what is the most important essential ingredient of Christianity? And again, if you hung out with us on night of worship on Good Friday, you heard some of these verses, just again, hang out with us, it'll be fun, and then we're going to dig into some new stuff. This is what it says. Let me now remind you, Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, of the what? The good news. Now, by the way, that word good news is literally translated the gospel. The gospel is good news. So the good news that I preached to you before, you welcomed it then, and you still welcome it, uh, still stand firm in it. It is the good news that what? Saves you. So that's very, very important. It's not getting baptized that saves you. It's not going to a church that saves you or giving money. It is the good news that saves you. I passed on to you what is the most important. Everybody say most important. You see, Paul, what he's saying is this is the hill. This is the hill that we have to die on. It isn't about creation versus evolution. It isn't about whether or not you can believe the Bible to be true. It isn't about uh, the definition of marriage. It isn't about, you know, was there a literal Adam and Eve? All of those things, great. You can, you know, the, uh, but this isn't, this, the central issue, the fact, the tip of the iceberg of what he's saying is, guess what? What is most important is what I'm getting ready to tell you, and this is what he says in verse 4. Christ died for our sins. Quick question, why did Christ die? For our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, by the way, that's how we know that he died. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. You see, what makes Christianity different than any other world religion is that Jesus, yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. There's nothing new in that. Muhammad, he was, he, he was killed, he was buried, he's still there. Confucius, dead, still there. Jesus, dead, buried, bing! It's like he's rose again. He is alive. So, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Now, what's so, what, again, I love this because we have eyewitness accounts. We, not, we don't believe it's just because the Bible says it. Because this is what it says in verse 5. He was seen by Peter. You see, why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead is because Peter, a first century fisherman who became a Jesus follower, he saw him die and he saw him after the resurrection. He wrote about it. Paul is saying, listen, don't just take my word for it. I want you to go and ask Peter. He saw Jesus living again. Peter was one of Jesus' followers. And what's so cool about this is Paul is writing this letter to Corinth Peter is still alive. He's saying this. By the way, Paul is saying, listen, go ask my boy Pete. He lives on 346 Ben Yehuda Street, Jerusalem, right? I want you to go take a taxi down there, and you go and look into his eyes, and you go ask him why he believes what he believes. You see, that's what's so cool. And all it would take is for them to be able to locate a body. All it would take is for one person to get caught in a lie. But what you're going to find out, the more you dig into Christianity, and the more you can dig into this, not belief, but fact, that Jesus rose from the dead is because he was seen by Peter. And what's so cool is Jesus' resurrection affected Peter so much 
that Peter ended up dying not for what he believed, because you and I both know there's a lot of people who die for their beliefs, right? A lot of crazy folks. No, he died for what he was saw. He was crucified upside down from the madman Nero. Paul continues, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. Why we believe he rose from the dead is because Matthew, a first century tax collector, became a follower of Jesus, saw him die, saw him resurrected, and he wrote a book. He called it Matthew. Right? That we see, we believe because Luke... A doctor, he investigated all there was to know, and he kind of interviewed people, and he says, you know what, I've thoroughly investigated this, and I've discovered that it is true, and he wrote a gospel according to Luke. Mark, we believe because Mark, he was a Greek who hung around with the followers of Jesus and traveled with Peter. He wrote about it, and he believed it to be true because he saw it with his own eyes. We believe because of John who was one of his disciples, was the first at the empty tomb. He outran everybody to get there to see that the tomb was open and that Jesus was not there. He is risen, and he wrote about it. He called it the book, the Gospel of John. You see, we see, we believe because all of his, the 12, the disciples saw it. After that, verse 6, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are what? Still alive. That means go talk to them. Go talk to them, though some have died. This is my favorite part. And some of you, you didn't know this was in the Bible. Some of you, you've been skeptical your entire lives. And you just, you're here because of this one verse. The Apostle Paul says to this group in Corinth, if you don't believe, that Jesus rose from the dead, get yourself a bus ticket on Greyhound, go to Jerusalem, and you're going to tell, you're going to find, you're going to contact, you're going to talk to about two to three hundred people that are still alive, and they can tell you, yep, I saw him. I saw him. This wasn't something that we made up. Go ask Andrew. Go ask Bartholomew. Go ask Philip. Go ask Simon. Go ask Mary. Go ask Martha. Go ask Lazarus. He was dead. Now he's rose again. Go ask Tabitha. Go ask Fred. You remember Fred who bags groceries down at the Piggly Wiggly, don't you? Go ask my boy Fred. He was there. Keep on going. Then he was seen by James. This I love this part. Let me tell you the reason why I love this part. James was the brother of Jesus. Now, think about this. I mean, James, his name never came up during the Gospels because as Jesus is doing his miracles and feeding everybody, James is like, I ain't following that dude, right? He's going, I was with him when he got his learner's permit, not the Son of God. (laughs) Right? But after Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, James saw Jesus. And that should be the reason why you and I should believe. Because think about it. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the Savior of the world? He would have to rise again. Right? I mean, have to rise again. He was seen by James and then all of the apostles. Matthias, Levi, James, John, Peter, Andrew, Simon the Zealot. Go ask Thomas. Thomas actually put his finger in the holes where they nailed his hands and his feet into the wood. Go ask Thomas. It went right through. Go ask Thaddeus. Go ask Nathaniel. Oh, by the way, Paul writes this. I saw Jesus too. Verse 8. Last of all, 
as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, who was a friend of all of these people, he said, you know what, he was kind of late to the game. He said, I got to see him too. So Paul writes, here's what I think is the most important. Here's what I think is the essential to Christianity. And it has nothing to do with creation, whether or not you believe in an old earth or a new earth. It has nothing to do with Adam and Eve. It has nothing to do with whether or not you believe that Jonah lived and literally in a whale for three days. It has everything to do with verse 3. What is most important? Christ, let's say it, died for our sins. And get this, he was buried and then he was what? Raised from the dead. You see, that's the center. That's the essential. That is the essential. See, the Jesus, the Jesus being crucified, dead, and resurrected is the core of our faith. It is the hill that we die on. I don't care what you think about speaking in tongues. I don't care what you think about how you interpret the book of Genesis or how you interpret the, Revel- the book of Revelation. What I want to ask you, the question is, what do you do with the burial, death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because that is the center of everything. You know, how many of y'all you grew up and used to get Easter bunnies. All right? See, when I see me a big old chocolate Easter bunny like this, my leg starts doing this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, I remember as a kid, I'd get a big Easter bunny like this, and I thought, all right, God is good. Because <laughs> here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this thing is full of chocolate. I mean, behind the confection eyes, behind whatever that thing is right there, that this is solid chocolate. There's a problem. It ain't solid chocolate. Anybody ever bit into a hollow Easter bunny? By the way, who wants an Easter bunny right now? All right, there you go, Sydney. There you go. You got to share. You got to share. Don't make me come down there. Right. <clears throat> you see, let me just say this. What Paul is telling the Christians in Corinth is that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, it's as hollow as a chocolate Easter bunny. That your faith, it has no substance, no meaning, no point, it's just a sham if you take the resurrection away. You see, all the stuff that you like about the Bible, all the stuff that you like about Jesus' teaching, how he was a moral teacher and he was a good teacher, and you kind of try to live your life by trying to do better and good than everybody else and all this stuff, that when you, if you take the resurrection from that, you've got nothing. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Verse 14, before we get there, here's our big idea. It says this. If there is no resurrection, we should abandon all things Christian. If there is no resurrection, you and I should abandon all things Christian. If there is no resurrection, what are you doing here? You're wasting your time. That's what we're going to find out in what Paul says in verse 14. It says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is what? Now some of you, you think about church and preaching, that's what you think anyway, right? It's like, what in the world? Why do I need that? But it says this. If Christ is not raised, preaching is useless. That means it has no use. It's worthless. And your faith is what? Useless. Worthless. Wow. Paul? Come on, Paul. You don't really mean that, do you? 
I mean, Paul, man, I love what you wrote back in 1 Corinthians 13, and you know, the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind. In fact, we even had that read at our wedding, and that's just, that's kind of made me a better person. You don't mean that it's worthless. Paul would tell you, listen, I wrote it, and if, I, if what I have written has meant something to you, if you take the resurrection out, you need to stop reading my writings. You need to stop reading that chapter about love. If there is no resurrection, you should abandon all things Christian. Back to the verse. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. In fact, the word our is not just talking about Paul. It's talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James, all of this. That this isn't peripheral. This is essential. The resurrection, the empty tomb is foundational. It is the hill. That everything else crumbles. It's like, anybody ever played Jenga? Ever played Jenga with a two-year-old? Dear Jesus, right? I mean, if you don't know what Jenga is, I'll tell you. Jenga is this little game that's all kind of tiles stacked up, and you have to pull the tiles out, but you don't want to make it fall. The resurrection is so central to our faith. It's like a two-year-old trying to play Jenga. All it takes is one little touch, bam, it's gone. It's, it's like a house of cards falling down. And that's exactly what happens when you remove the foundational belief and the core doctrine that Jesus has been resurrected and is alive. You just, I mean, you're kidding yourself. You're being irrational if you think, okay, I'm going to believe some of this other stuff, but I just, I, I'm not, let's just don't do the resurrection. Okay? Look what it says in verse 15. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God has raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection from the dead. Paul says if there's no resurrection, you shouldn't pay attention to anything that we ever say. Why is that? Because we are liars, and we're the worst kind of liars. We're not simply just lying about events. We're lying about God. Because in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, in the book of John, in the teaching of Peter, in the teachings of Paul, we don't simply say, hey, a man rose from the dead. No, we're saying that God raised him from the dead. So if God didn't raise him from the dead, we are the worst kind of liars. If you, if you take the resurrection away, you should abandon all things Christian. I mean, I really want to do this and had some people more wise than me said I shouldn't. I want to take a Bible and say, if you don't believe the resurrection is true, you just need to rip out the entire last 27 books of the Bible, the New Testament. You should just rip them out. Because if you don't believe in the foundational fact that Jesus rose from the dead, you can't trust what John wrote when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You can't trust what Luke wrote in Luke chapter 15, when, he, when Jesus tells of the story of the prodigal son, you can't trust any of what these people wrote because they're no longer trustworthy because they are saying a lie. They're perpetrating a lie if the resurrection is not true. So anywhere that you stand about God, if you remove the resurrection, it's like the hub of the wheel. Everything comes flying apart. There is no resurrection. All things Christians are off the table because if there is no resurrection, you and I should abandon all things Christian. Now, it even gets worse. It says this in verse 18. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. 
All, in, all, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Now, quick question. If you grew up in, how many of y'all, let me see your hands, you kind of grew up in church. Let me see your hands. Okay, cool. When you hear the word lost, what do you normally think that it, that's what it means? That they went to hell, right? That, I mean, that's, I, but I don't think that's what it means here. How many of y'all, you've ever lost your phone? Anyone? Now, if you've lost your phone, that doesn't mean your phone is in hell, right? You may feel like that's kind of where you're at because some of you are so attached to your phones, right? Oh my gosh, all right? No, no, if you've lost your phone, your phone is not in hell. Your phone, you just don't know where it's at. How many of y'all lose your car keys about three times a day, right? I mean, if you do that, your keys are not in hell. They're just lost. You don't know where they're at. Because lost doesn't mean hell. Lost means I don't know where they're at. Let me tell you what Paul is saying here. This is huge because for some of you, you've had brothers or sisters who passed away. You have parents. You've had a, a mom and dad who's died. Maybe grandparents. God forbid, maybe you've lost a child. And Paul says, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I just want you to know that if there is no resurrection, then those who have died... When the preacher stood up at the funeral and said, we will see them again, he lied to you. He lied to you. Because there is no resurrection, he lied. They're lost. We don't know where they're at. In fact, our entire concept of heaven, whether you know it or not, has been shaped by the teachings of the New Testament. We've learned so much about what heaven looks like from the, a guy named John who wrote the book of Revelation in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of John. You can't trust him because he's perpetrated a lie. Let me tell you. Then he concludes and he says this in verse 19. And if our hope is in Christ only in this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. What Paul is saying is this. This is such a big statement. In other words, he's saying, if the only thing you get out of Christianity and following Jesus is what you get here in this life, huh, Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, says, you above everybody else should be pitied. Here's why he's saying that. Because for some of you, the money that you've been giving to missions all of your life, without the resurrection, you've wasted your money. Some of you, you are faithful to giving and tithing to a church, and without the resurrection, Paul is saying, you're a fool. It would have been better for you to take that money and go to the boat and play jackpot. I mean, it, it, some of you, uh, all the fraternities and the sororities and the parties that you said, you, I'm not going to go to, all those wild parties, you know what? You're an idiot. You should have went without the resurrection. But some of you guys and ladies in here, I mean, you're like, man, she's so hot. He's so good looking. But I don't think he's a Christian, so I'm not going to date him. If the resurrection is false, you just missed out on a good time. That's all you did. For those who you're stuck in a difficult marriage, and the only reason you're staying in that marriage is because of what you believe the Scripture teaches, without the resurrection, I pity you. You should have left her a long time ago. You should have left him a long time ago. For those of you who serve and you give up vacation time, for those of you who, are, who give to people who are less fortunate, if the resurrection isn't true, you have wasted thousands of dollars. You've wasted hundreds of hours of time. In fact, for those of you who come to church every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, if you take the resurrection out of the game, you are idiots because you should have spent your day at the lake. You should be at the beach right now. 
That's what he's saying. That I pity you. In fact, he closes this whole line of argument in verse 32. If there is no resurrection, let's feast and let's drink. Let's get it on. For tomorrow, we die. Let's get party. Let's get drunk. Let's just sleep around. If there is no resurrection, we should abandon all things Christian. Now, I know that's really negative. I'm just preaching what the Apostle Paul is preaching. But here is where everything turns. Look at verse 20. He has this, but. Everybody say but. But. There are two little Greek words that make up the word but. The first one is day. And it means little but. And some of you, I don't like it because you got little buts. Now, there's this other but in the Greek language that's a big contrast. And it's the word owl. Everybody say owl. If, you, if your name here is Al, you probably got it. Anyway, Al means a big contrast. So let me tell you, he doesn't use day. He doesn't use Al. He takes two Greek words and compounds them. And here's what he does. He puts this word a little butt. He says, nune day. Nuve day. Nuve day. And what this is literally translated is, are you kidding me? You have got to be serious. He says, but, let's finish it. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That, he says, this is a but you need to look at. Seriously. This is a game changer. And that's the reason why I'm spending so much time on this tension. If if not, if not, if not, then this. Because, let me tell you, this can change your eternity. This can change your reality. The good news is this. The truth is, you can plant your faith, not in just what the Bible says, but the fact that there is a man who was died, he he was killed, he was buried, and then he he was raised again on the third day. It's the reason why you can believe. It's the reason why you can follow. It's the reason why you can serve. It's the reason why you can hope. It's the reason why you can give. Because you and I have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. His teachings just didn't rise from the dead. His spirit just didn't rise from the dead. He was bodily raised up and he is living again. And that means if you're a Jesus follower, your hope is not in vain. Your prayers are not in vain. Those funerals you attended, not in vain. The loved one that you laid to rest and you wondered, your hope is not in vain. Your generosity is not in vain. Your service is not in vain. Your kindness is not in vain. Your sacrifice, your worship is not in vain. So if you're not a Jesus person, you're not a Christ person, you're not a Bible person, the one thing I want to leave with you today, the one thing I want to challenge you today the issue that I want you to wrestle with. It's your hill to die on. And let me tell you, it, your issue isn't this, that you used to work for a Christian and he, he cheated you some money and, and, and you don't believe. That's not your issue. The issue. Your issue isn't where are the dinosaurs and where are they at in the Bible or how old is the earth. Your issue isn't, are there mistakes found in the Bible? Your issue isn't, didn't Adam and Eve really exist or did they not? The one issue that I want you to wrestle with for the rest of your life. Did Jesus rise from the dead? 
Did Jesus rise from the dead? You've got to wrestle that down. Because if he didn't, game over on Christianity. Christianity is like a a fake, hollow Easter bunny. But let me tell you, if he did, if he did rise from the dead, it can change everything for you. It can. It can change your addictions. It can change your future. It can change your relationships. It can change your friendships. It can change your marriage. It can change your kids. If Christianity is true and Jesus did rise from the dead, you can have forgiveness, that you can talk to God when you lay crying at sleep at night. That means that there is more to this life than this life, than just getting rich and dying. It means that that sense of ought to and ought not to is the thumbprint of your creator on your life. And that, that, this, that this, this moral standard that you kind of live with, it, it means that that came from God. It means that the stories that your grandparents told you about faith are really true. It, it, it means that you can be forgiven, that you're never outside of the boundaries of grace. Because the men who brought and, and, and taught us the resurrection says that God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace, his wonderful grace. So as you consider faith, as you consider Christianity, I want you to wrestle with that question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Now, for some of you, this is a great encouragement. To others of you, you've been coming for a while, or maybe you've been to a a church for a while, and you've been kind of right on the edge. And as I shared with you at the beginning of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity today To put your faith in Jesus Christ. This can be that pivotal moment of your life. That just as history revolves around the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, your entire life, however many years that you may live, will revolve around this moment, this hour, this minute of what you do wrestling with did Jesus rise from the dead. When I was eight years old, I went down front and I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. I prayed a prayer, and that prayer, there wasn't anything magical about the words, but it was a prayer that I invited God into my life, and I stepped into his life. And what I'm going to do for us this morning is I'm going to invite you to begin that relationship with your Heavenly Father. That only comes through Jesus Christ. That only comes through the sacrifice that God, the Heavenly Father, gave by giving his one and only Son. That if whoever believes in him would not perish, but they will have everlasting life. So if you're here this morning, and you're like, I think, I still got questions, I'm still struggling with some stuff. But I want that relationship today. I want to invite you to close your eyes. In fact, let's just all do that. Let's just close our eyes right now. This is just between you and your Heavenly Father. It's not with the person next to you or the person in front of you or behind you. Let me ask that question. What do you do with Jesus rising from the dead? Do you believe? Not because a preacher told you. Not because even an ancient document says so. 
but that we have eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness over 500 people at once Jesus appeared to if you are ready to believe I invite you to pray a prayer like this Jesus Lord I understand Lord I understand that you died for my sins Lord, I know that my addictions and my shame and all of my junk, Lord, it's just, it's making me a wreck. It's, it's, it's making my life hell. It's making my marriage and my children, it's making it a wreck. And I'm doing everything in my power to blow it all up. And God, I just want to stop. I want to stop the addictions. I want to stop the sin. I want to stop all of the junk, all the stuff that's crowding my life, choking me out. God, I want to give that to you. I want to give all of my junk to you. I want you to come and I want you to spring clean my life. I want you to come into my heart and I want you to just yank some things out. Some things that don't need to be there. Lord, I just confess those to you right now. God, I just... I trust you. Take it all away. Give me Jesus. Give me life in him. Give me hope in him. Give me peace in Jesus. Give me purpose. Give me forgiveness in Him. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to let you know a couple of things are happening right now. All of heaven right now are rejoicing because of the decision that you made. That's what God's Word says. I want to let you know that we as a church... We're rejoicing with you as well. Can we do that, church? Can we just rejoice with your decision? Praise God. I would love to be able to meet with you afterwards in the Next Steps tent. We have some other people that have name badges on. We'd like to be able to meet with you and share with you what your next step is. That you can be like Kenrick. That you can be like Brittany. And that you can go public with your faith. We'd like to be able to give you a Bible. And give you some encouragement to start reading it. This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship with you and God. This is the beginning of a beautiful relationship with your Heavenly Father. This is the beginning of the rest of your life. So I'm encouraging you to go live it. Because Jesus has died. He is buried. And church, let's say it. He is rose again. Let's give it up.